Welcome to the Power of Five Podcast with Glenn Blakeney. Join us for revelatory teaching as well as riveting discussions and guest interviews on all things fivefold ministry. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Power of Five podcast. Glenn Blakeney here, and we are continuing our discussion with Dr. Michael Gretschko, who's a teaching pillar at Numa Church in Melbourne, Australia. In our last session, we looked at Ephesians chapter four, and particularly the whole emphasis that Dr. Mike so clearly uh, presented to us, really in a way that many of us probably have never heard before, and that is the whole calling to walk worthy of Christ and his purpose. How does that happen? And that whole theme as it relates to the equipping of God's people by the fivefold. Well, Dr. Mike, I know there's so much more in Ephesians 4, and uh, we'd love for you just to continue unpacking that passage, you know, specifically as it relates to what Jesus did at the cross and uh, how he, you know, ascended and descended and and what that means to us in the church, because many of us have really missed the significance of that. And we're going to go into the whole importance of the function of the fivefold after that. But let's talk about those verses that really precede verses 11 through 16. Yeah. Uh, let's continue on that topic, please. Well, it's good to be with you again, and uh, hello to everyone watching. Trust this is going to be a really helpful session too. So let's let's pick up uh, from verses 7 to 10. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, and when there's a therefore, it's therefore reason. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So both in 7 and 8, he's talking about giving gifts to men. And then in verse 9, 10, he says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things or literally fulfill all things. So he's coming down to earth and leaving again was the fulfillment of many prophecies from the Old Testament. And and many uh, scholars and Bible teachers, they debate long and hard over what it means to descend into the lower regions, um, what it means to ascend far above all of the heavens. Um, Paul's using hyperboles, going down as far as he can and going up as far as he can. Personally, I think descending into the lower regions, the earth. He's, he's talking about the incarnation. And uh, when he talks about, I don't think he, in this particular verse, he's talking about going into Hades and preaching. I don't think he's talking about that because he's contrasting that with uh, ascending far above all the heavens. Well, once you've gone above to the heavens, there's, there's nothing above the heavens, but he's using hyperbole. He's talking about coming down, his incarnation and his ascension. And, you know, in between his incarnation and his ascension, he achieved for humanity 
the reversal of what happened in the fall mm. in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. So he's given, he's given gifts, and there are two types or categories of gifts, not in terms of hierarchy or value, but every right. single believer has been given spiritual gifts. We, we talked about that um, uh, last, last time uh, briefly. And then there's the gifts of the fivefold. Yes. Now, the difference between the spiritual gifts to the believers and the gifts of the fivefold is this. Every single believer, including the fivefold, have received spiritual gifts. They've been given spiritual gifts. But hmm. the, the fivefold, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, they themselves, by the language that Paul uses, they themselves are the gifts to the church. So there are two types of gifts given. One type for every single believer, spiritual gifts to use to serve others, and the right. gifts of the fivefold given to the church. Now in verse 8. So good distinction there, Dr. Mike. Just, just want to emphasize yeah. that. So everyone is given gifts. So gifts are given to men by the grace every of Christ. And, yeah. Yeah. But then the fivefold, the apast, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, those gifts were given to the church collectively. Yes. So Paul, in Romans 12, he talks about different types of gifts. He also calls them grace. So gr every grace was given. So the grace is our operation, our ability to use that gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about that as a manifestation of the Spirit. It's a different way of saying the same thing. Right. So awesome. what Paul then goes on to say is that when Christ ascended, that is when he had completed his work, ministering on the earth, teaching, raising up disciples, designating them apostles, going to the cross, rising from the dead, all of that, and then he ascended on high. When he ascended, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Paul is actually quoting, and this is a much misunderstood verse, and it's almost always just glossed over, but the uh, intentionality of Paul in the brevity of this comment can't be overstated. So Paul talks about the ascendant Christ. And before he talks about the ascending, the ascension, he wants the Ephesians and all believers, including us, to really grasp the uh, incomparably great power of God who who strengthens his people to stand against their enemies. And this is precisely what he's doing when he's quoting Psalm 68. And so when he says, therefore, it says, it says what he now says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. He's quoting Psalm 68. And this is right. a prayer yeah. to God as, as our warrior, our champion, our God, who will manifest his power, strengthen his people, and defeat the enemies of Israel. And Paul is indicating our enemies too. So he's 
quoting a psalm uh, which happened, you know, a, a thousand years BC, it was written a thousand years BC about events that happened probably 500 years before Christ during the, the time of Moses. And so in the context of Psalm 68, Yahweh, uh, God, um, uh, Israel goes in a battle against Og, king of Mount Basham, and God brought them victory. Um, and we read about that uh, primarily or initially in Numbers 21. Whenever Israel had victory, they saw God as giving them that victory. And, and uh, you know, when, when they went out and they got defeated, as you could because they went out and they hadn't inquired of the Lord. And we see this several times post-David when they presumptuously went out to fight and they didn't inquire of the Lord and they didn't have victory. But when they went out against the battles, uh, into battle against the enemies, they saw the victory as having been achieved by God himself. And so they believed that there were, uh, or there was this underlying belief that there were spiritual, forces behind their physical enemies and God was the one that gave them victory and Paul alludes to that here so in Deuteronomy before they went into the promised land Moses said for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory same is said about David a number of times to Samuel 8 6 David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus and the Sidians became servants to David and brought tribute and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And Proverbs itself, uh, 21, 31 says, the horse is made ready or prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So they have this underlying theology ingrained in them that whatever battle they go into and win, that victory belongs to the Lord because the Lord has fought for them. And we see this in um, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The same, um, the same theological concept, again, now brought into the New Testament. And so when we, when we look at Psalm uh, 68, and at the end of that verse, although he's quoting verse 18, at the end of that verse, it refers to God's power being in the skies where the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms exist, according to Ephesians 6.10. So what we have to understand is that the tribute, uh, or referred to as the gifts, which is the victor, um, the general uh, uh, when he leads his army back into their hometown, uh, they receive gifts or they plunder their enemy. And so this is a picture of uh, a military leader returning to Jerusalem at the head of his army after defeating his enemy in battle and taking many prisoners. Mm -hmm. The victorious procession, the triumphant procession, right. with captives following in chains, making its way up to the temple court preceded by the Ark of God, mm. the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the very throne of God and the presence of God on earth um, and his presence with them, having 
fought for them and brought them victory. So to him, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, thanksgiving will be offered when the procession reaches the temple precincts. And the tribute received by the victor from the defeated enemy will be dedicated to him. They're the gifts received. But the scripture that Paul uses is that he gives gifts, not receiving gifts. So this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ leading yeah. us in triumphant procession uh, where the devil is demons, death and hell and all of that, which was um, uh, the result of the fall has been defeated. The great enemies that were against humanity, which had held mankind captive for so long are now defeated. So when Jesus ascended to be with the Father again, he completed the victory over all of our enemies and then he gave the fivefold to the church to equip them to continue the work that was begun. So here, this is where we understand the helmet of salvation. Now, very often when we talk about spiritual warfare and the, the armour of God out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18 there, which is that all about that spiritual warfare, uh, we talk about, we've often talked about the helmet of salvation as uh, putting on the helmet of salvation, some sort of figurative action or mental imagery we do to protect right. our minds from evil thoughts. It doesn't talk mm -hmm. about that at all. This is the uh -huh. helmet of salvation that the God actually wore. We, we learn about that in Isaiah 59. So it's a victory helmet that the soldiers would wear on their way back home to demonstrate that they had won the battle. So when we put on our helmet of salvation, we fight from a position of Christ already having obtained victory for us. So the battle that we fight is not to get victory, it's to maintain the victory. And all we have to do is hold our ground or wow. stand firm, as the yeah. Apostle Paul talks about. Yeah. So when he talks about setting captives free or taking captivity captives, mm -hmm. We're now not talking about Jesus setting people who are captives free, as in Luke 4, 18 and 19, where he quotes Isaiah 61. When he talks about taking captivity captive, he means he captured that, that which held us in captivity outside of Christ. That is our captors. In other words, he took principalities and powers who held us captives because we know the you know the whole world lies in the hands of the wicked one in 1 john 5 19 or satan's the god of this world in 2 corinthians 4 4 he's the one that controls the kingdom of darkness and if we're not in the kingdom of christ we're in his kingdom and he has held everybody captive there are many new testament references that talk about that but when jesus brought his victory on the cross on our behalf he took captivity the captors and he captured them and he led them in triumphant procession it's like um, he took the prison cell and he put it into a prison cell spiritual forces of evil held us captive in a prison cell and jesus took that prison cell and the captors and he put in a prison cell he took the prison guards and he put them in a prison cell so it's clearly yeah. what Paul is, Paul is interpreting this psalm Christologically. He's talking about 
how God gave them victory on Mount Basham. Yeah. And his interpret and, and they understood their, their battles as being won by the Lord, by Yahweh. And Paul is interpreting for the church now this psalm Christologically. So Jesus having defeated sin, death, and hell, all principalities and powers, we are now part of a movement, the church, that is to go out into the world, into Satan's fear, to plunder people that are under his control. And we have victory and we want to gain victory for others. So if wow. the forces of evil are defeated, mm -hmm. um, we are now part of a victorious movement. And so he gave the fivefold to the church to continue leading the church in the victory that has already been given and, uh, and obtained procured by Christ. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yeah. And unfortunately, in a lot of the church today, we, we, we talk about, you know, gaining victory um, and doing things mm -hmm. to get victory. And, and we don't teach enough about the victory that we already have in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So that's a snapshot that's so of that, good. and we can we can talk about you know Genesis three and Matthew four and how Jesus has reversed everything that Satan uh, tempted Adam and Eve to do and what sin brought. But I think that gives you a snapshot and a bit of an understanding of what Paul was referring to when he quoted Psalm sixty eight and then interpreted Christologically for the church. Yeah, well, and that's so important that we get that right. And in terms of what we we move and we we minister and we live from that place of victory that's already been wrought and affected through what Christ did. Um, yeah. So when he goes into the sixth chapter, of course, Paul begins to talk about standing, and then you already mentioned the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, and how. If you think about that, the gates of hell not prevailing, there is a sense in which we obviously um, are to advance God's kingdom. and But we yeah. do it from a position of we're not trying to get victory. We have the victory. We've already been commissioned. Dr. Mike, don't you think just, just right now I'm just uh, pondering the Great Commission as delineated, particularly in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And it's very interesting that the verse preceding, verse 18, Jesus says, all authority, all exousia in heaven yeah. and on earth is mine. Therefore, go. Now, is yeah. that not essentially the same thing, the same theme, really, that Christ? Uh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's interesting, that word exousia. Um it, it actually, by definition, it means uh, by virtue of your position or that which has been delegated to you, you have the right to demand obedience. And that's what a th that's what exorcia means. That's what authority is. Now, I, used, I came out of high school, joined the Victoria Police Force here in, in, in Australia, and I could stand at an intersection and I could put up my hand and I could stop a 22-tonne truck Right. Did I have the power to stop it? No, I couldn't stop a mini mine. I couldn't stop a little car. I couldn't stop a, a, a man on a bicycle uh, with my power. But I had authority, which means I had the right to demand obedience. Yeah. 
Jesus demonstrated this in the in the in the Sermon on the Mount when he uh, said, "You have heard it said, or it has been written, but I say to you." So he's demanding obedience to his teaching. And at the wow. end of the Sermon um, on the Mount, they were amazed at his authority when he cast out demons. They were amazed that even the demons were subject to him and obeyed him. So when he said, "All, all authority is given me," and he commissioned them. He gave them the right to demand obedience to his teaching, and that included all authority and power over all the enemy. Because in the kingdom of God, Satan has no jurisdiction. So you're in Dallas at the moment. I'm in Australia. A, yeah. An Australian policeman has no jurisdiction in Dallas. Right. So in the same way, Satan has no jurisdiction in um, in the kingdom of Christ, in the kingdom of God. But we have, because we are in the kingdom of God and he has given us that authority and has commissioned us, we have authority to go out and demand obedience. So when we see someone manifesting a demon, we have authority over that demon. When we have, when we see a sickness, we have the right to demand on behalf of Christ that that sickness leave. We have the right to demand obedience to Christ's teaching, and we have that same authority that Jesus had because he delegated to us as his disciples, as those who are in his kingdom. Does that make sense? I think your microphone's still off. Absolutely. makes a lot of sense and very, very insightful in terms of helping us to, you know, move into a place where we operate from a different perspective of the, the place of victory. Um, so the fivefold in terms of God's um, servants, but ultimately has a purpose. And Ephesians 4 continues in, in the ensuing verses to really delineate. Um, there is a work of preparing or equipping God's people. Now, before yeah. we look at what that actually entails and consists of, um, what are we really the fivefold supposed to be preparing God's people for? I mean, what is, what is this? Does it tie into what you've just shared um, about this place of victory and, and uh, continuing to advance God's kingdom from the place of Christ's victory? Yeah, well, the, the word equip is actually a word that um, uh, it's used in the noun form, but it also has been used in verb form many times in the New Testament, and it means to, to prepare, to make ready. Uh, it means to... Uh, uh, that it, it indicates that everything has a purpose. It's use of, you know, God created the universe. Uh, a body has been prepared for me, Jesus said, or it's prophetically of Jesus. Um, it's use of the fishermen mending their nets. And so every believer has a ministry. So that Jesus gave the fivefold to the church to equip the saints, which is God's people, for works of ministry, for the work of ministry. And the work of ministry 
is using the gifts that they've been given to serve both the church and the world. So they serve the church by using their spiritual gifts to build up the body. And this is, you know, the, 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 you know in, in verse 12, it's 13, it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body. Yeah. The work of ministry is what everybody has to do with the grace that was given to each one of them using their spiritual gifts to serve others. Mm. The only gift we've been given, other than the gift of salvation, the only spiritual gift we've been given, if we have that gift, is the gift of tongues. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. Every other gift is for us to use to serve yeah. others, to build others up, to for the common good, to make others stronger, to serve them, to bless them, to build them up. And so when everybody's using their gift, the body of Christ is built up and is made stronger. And then when that happens, we begin to mature. And Paul talks about that, uh, the, us needing to do that until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. In the days of Jesus and post-Jesus' ascension, when there were a lot of uh, sects and, and there were not sects, S-E-C-T-S, a lot of sects. There are a lot of Gnostics and Docetists and um, uh, a a, a lot of teachings sprung up about Christ and was he human or was he just divine? Was he a phantom? Um, Was he just uh, a secret knowledge that people had? Who was he? And there were all sorts of different understandings of who Jesus himself was. And Paul had to teach a lot about this in his epistles. That's not so much of a problem for us today because we've had 2,000 years of Bible. And for us, whether we're Pentecostal, Catholics, Baptist, or Seventh-day Adventist, or Evangelical Free Churches, or whatever, most of us have a very similar understanding and a knowledge of the son of god who he is so that's less of an issue for us for them they had to get on the same page of who jesus was so their faith was unified in the person of jesus who was the son of god who was god who was the incarnate god who was the ascended christ coming back and and all of that for us we already understand that then he talks about the fivefold equipping the saints to bring them to maturity. Now, this is a fascinating um, little phrase, two phrases here, to mature manhood um, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this word mature manhood, in, in some uh Uh, In some translations, it talks about the perfect man. The word teleos, it means totality or completion. It refers to stages of learning, beginning, advancing, and then maturing. It, It is that beyond which there is no further advance in excellence or quality or in its kind or class. Um, The... Greeks use this word to um, to talk about the finish line in a marathon. 
So you had to go through all the stages of the marathon and then cross the line and you have arrived. Doesn't mean you're seamlessly perfect. And so when the English translations have rendered this word perfect, we in our Western concept of perfect totally misunderstand this. Right. We think, you know, you know, and Jesus in Matthew 5, 48 says, therefore, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. We have no idea. Well, he's sinlessly perfect and without flaws, without sure. any sort of brokenness or encumbrances. You know, we can't attain to that. Right. But it's this word. It means completion, not flawless, sinless perfection. In some mm-hmm. translation, Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He's talking about the rich uh, young man. Uh, and then in 1 Corinthians 13, 10, but when the, that which is perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And in James 1, 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. And so we get confused by thinking to be perfect um, is like to, to attain to something where we not, have no flaws, we don't right. sin anymore, and we can't achieve that. And that's no. not what it's talking about. It's talking about going through certain stages of development where we become mature. If you can think, for example, of um, um, uh, 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 a, a tradesman, or let's say a uh, a blacksmith. Okay. Blacksmith was very common in the days of Jesus to serve the village. And, you know, the blacksmith did all sorts of different things. He used tools. He used his hands. He made things. He repaired things. He created things. A blacksmith at the end of his life could manage to uh, to excellently perform all of his tasks he could use all of his tools well he could create all of the things he needed to create whether it's a weapon whether it's a horseshoe whether it's something for a house or for some other um, agricultural use like a plow or something like that and at the end of his life having been apprenticed and having honed his skills He could do all of those things well. And then at the same time, he could train an apprentice, a pupil, a disciple, a mathetes, a learner, Mm. someone that he would train. And so when Paul talks to the church about being mature or mature mature manhood, he's Mm. talking about people becoming mature like Christ to the point when they can do what Jesus did. Wow. And then if the question, anticipating the question, well, what does that look like? What does a mature manhood look like? He explains it. He said, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, not just like Christ, but the fullness of Christ. Wow. I find oh. this absolutely amazing. We're not, she's not, so he's not just making us, we're not maturing to be like Jesus, but the fullness of Jesus, which uh-huh. is an extraordinary 
uh, statement. Um, in our world today, here's the thing. We, we live in a very self-oriented Western culture, Americans, Absolutely, yeah. Australians, Europeans. And there is no doubt it's crept, crept into the church under the radar. Yeah. So, we, you know, we phrase, we talk about my ministry and we're overthrilled. Now, we do have a ministry and it's my ministry, but it's not about my ministry. Whatever my ministry is, it's about the people the Lord has called us to serve. We talk about mm -hmm. my spiritual gifts. We talk about my purpose, my mission, my destiny, my prophetic destiny yeah. coming to the, yeah. you know, very recently as if there's such a term. We talk about my passion and, um, you know, quite clearly um, the New Testament shows no interest in our passion at all, neither the Old Testament. You, you take some of the prophets. You take Jonah, for example. Was Jonah really thrilled about his calling to be a prophet? No, he did. He did a runner. <laughs> so, but we get we 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 focus on ourselves, and so right. we, we sort of think that you know God is working by His Spirit, and we're we're living a good life, and we have the fivefold making us to be the very best version of ourselves. Uh -huh. That couldn't be further from the truth. What Paul is saying here, that the fivefold, we know this Holy Spirit is transforming us to be like Christ, right? 2 Corinthians right. 3.18, into the likeness of Christ. The fivefold yeah. have an important role to play. So they are equipping us so that as we mature, we become like the fullness of Christ. Yes. He's not making us the best version of ourselves. He's making us the best version of Jesus Christ himself. So we have to ask the question, what does that look like? How can we become the best version of Jesus? Well, it's like this. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He made disciples. Right. Well, he prayed, he taught, he healed the sick, he preached, yeah. he explained about God, he talked about the kingdom. We have to be able to do all of those things if we think mm -hmm. we're mature. Because yeah. if we are mature like that blacksmith who can do all the things a blacksmith can do, when right. we are mature like the fullness of Christ means we can do, do all the things Jesus has done. And we need the fivefold to equip us because mm -hmm. the fivefold is the, those five aspects of Christ working together to make us like Christ. Mm. So if we want to be mature but we don't serve, we're not mature. Right. It's interesting because... So to walk worthy of our calling, yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, to work worthy of our calling, we need to be equipped to serve because when we serve, we do the things that Christ has called us to do. And so hmm. it's interesting, Jesus made disciples and then he spent three and a half years training disciples, called them apostles, and what did he tell them to go and do? He said, go and make disciples. What did Jesus yeah. do? Made disciples. He yeah. commanded his disciples to make disciples. So when we become mature like Christ, we have the ability to make disciples, explaining yeah. the teachings of the word of God, basic doctrines, praying for people, leading people to Christ, discipling them, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. what maturity in Christ or in the fullness of Christ actually means. And, and we need the fivefold to help us do that. Wow, that's amazing. So one of the things that I just wanted to comment on is when Jesus, um, <clears throat> the fullness of the stature, the measure of Christ. Now, 
we are called to be, as you said, not the best version of ourselves, because um, all our righteousness is as filthy rags, no matter what. And yeah, yeah. but it's if we become good. Christ-like and the fullness of Christ, and we're not just like, well, you know, I'm a little bit like Christ, or in these areas, I'm I'm quite Christ-like, <laughs> but the fullness of the stature, so attaining to the full measure, and that is a calling and correct me if i'm if i'm not understanding this correct properly that is a calling individually but collectively he talks about the perfect man as you mentioned teleos and that complete man so does that not speak of us as a body as well it 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 does and paul has this way of talking about the church's a new man, and he has a way of talking about individual Christians as a new man. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things become new. In the very same chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about the new man. He says, put on the new man. You are a new man. Put on the new man. And he talks, right. he describes certain behaviors as in, what individuals do, but there is no doubt, no doubt mm -hmm that we are also a new man as the body of Christ. And we can't function individually outside of the context of the body of Christ. It's interesting when, you know, if we want, you know, when Jesus, Philip said, show us the Father. Right. He said, dude, you've been with me with this, you've been with me this long. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right. If, if people want to see Jesus, they they look at a Christian, should be able to see Jesus. Hmm. Paul in Philippians 3.20 talks about heaven, our citizenship is in heaven, and, and, and the word citizenship is, um, is like our Australian word or English word commonwealth. Having right. Canadian roots and our Australian roots, we have our heritage in the commonwealth of England. Right. And uh, I understand the United States has, has seceded from that and as it is an independent republic, but they also had the origins that came from there. Well, when, when you look at parts of Australia, you can see England, our motherland. So our motherland, our citizenship, our commonwealth is in England. And so the church is a commonwealth of heaven. It's it's a colony of heaven. And so when, mm -hmm. the when the world looks at the church, they should see heaven. When the mm -hmm. world looks at a Christian, they should see Jesus. Mm -hmm. when, the when the world looks at the church functioning, serving together, they should see Jesus. Yeah, so, so it's good. both. The new man is both the church and individually. And we have to almost hold them and live intention because we can't live as a new man by ourselves outside of the new man which is the body of christ everything paul talks about to the church he talks about everybody doing it all together even putting on the armor of god he's talking about the church putting that on together but we apply it individually very quickly hmm. and i think it's twofold and and the point you make is a very pertinent one we have to think of ourselves in the corporate sense, more than we actually do today. Yeah, that's right. I really believe that. And, you know, I've said it many times that 
we have many individuals that you so um, you know appropriately pointed out that really focus on our personal mandate in our, our ministries. We do our own things, but very rarely do we see ministries coming together, connecting with other um, fivefold ministers, being even part of a local church today. We have many ministries that are not even connected to a local church. And we are going to go into um, just some questions here in a second, Dr. Mike, that I think is going to be incredible um, because we're going to be addressing what does it actually look like for the body of Christ to not just be body parts individually. That's certainly important, but to be part of the body functioning as the body of Christ. And what we see in many aspects is that there's been a recognition and identification of the fivefold. Well, we believe in the fivefold. You know, we've got the revelation now. Yes, there are apostles and prophets today, and and uh, we even ordain them or recognize them in our ministry or our church, and, and that's fine. That's good. But when we take it a step further and we really look at Ephesians 4, which you mentioned so clearly the apast, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, you know, there there are few churches, few ministries that are fully harnessing the synergy and the benefits of the fivefold operating in a symbiotic relationship. Now, I know that you are part of a church, Numa Church in Melbourne, Australia, that actually has taken it very seriously. And there is a fivefold team that functions together, not just individually in silos, but you guys actually function together and there is that um cohesiveness that that symbiotic um relationship happening there as well but let's talk about that the fivefold functioning together my conversations even recently i've talked to pastors apostles and they've said you know what pretty much impossible to do that where i live or um because if I try to bring somebody on the team and and make them part of, of our ministry team, they'll just try to hijack the church or to split the church. Uh, those things are really real. Or even things like, well, I don't have the money to pay them. It's uh, We don't have enough money to even barely uh, cover the senior pastor's uh, wages or whatever. So when we talk about the fivefold, those things are real tensions the, their tension points and yeah. but what about fivefold functioning together um what what are the benefits of that happening you know we could argue based on what you've just shared that as long as we have the fivefold functioning globally in different places you know for example every once in a while we bring in a prophet we may not have a prophet in our local assembly our local church but every once in a while we bring in a prophet that's good there's nothing wrong with that but to actually come to a point where they are in the house they're working together it's not just the prophets pastoring one church down the street the apostles over here and there might yeah. be an advanced but to bring them together to actually function as a unit um wow mm that's that's so rare and it's a game changer okay i like that it, word it's a it's a game changer so it, absolutely nothing wrong it, it's a, a good thing 
if you don't have a profit in the house to bring a profit in. But we often do that just for one Sunday here or there. When Paul says that Jesus gave the fivefold, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Yes. There's not a lot of equipping goes goes on in a 35, 40-minute sermon on a Sunday. That's true. Isn't that, that's not equipping. Equipping takes time. Equipping, so if we're talking about equipping as a process, if we think in terms of maturing as a process takes time mm. you don't get equipped to do something competently like christ in his full measure uh, you don't that doesn't happen in you know sitting down in one listening to one sermon or one podcast or one here or there anything it's it's a process and it takes time so the more of the fivefold we can get the better because we can be exposed to their grace as they equip us from their grace to mm -hmm. contribute to what we need to do with our grace. Okay. So would it help um, if I just basically um, in brief form outline what the fivefold do? Please, please. So the apostle is one um, you know, the word apostolos comes from the verb apostello, which means to send. An apostle is, is a sent one, one who is sent. Now, when Jesus uh, started his ministry, he called disciples to himself. Mm -hmm. And we know that 12 disciples mainly traveled with him. He had others. We know that. Mm -hmm. But at one point, he spent the night in prayer and he the next day, he designated 12 of them apostles. Right. Why didn't he designate them priests or shepherds? We know priest is an Old Testament function. Right. Uh, they taught. They represented God. They represented people. Um, why didn't he designate them shepherds? Shepherding is a, a general term for leaders in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, why didn't he designate them shepherds or, or something else hmm. the word apostle or the title of the apostle the function of an apostle was not a religious function and it's very um little known that an apostle was someone who was sent on a mission with the commission of the sending person hmm. and it is most mostly used um, for example, of an empire like the Roman Empire, when it was expanding, it would send out an armada of ships or an army for when across land. When, you know, if we take the Greeks, for example, under Alexander the Great, uh, when he conquered the known world 300 years before Christ, um, the kingdom was ex kingdom of Greece was expanding, and in the times of you know, mm -hmm. before Christ, when Rome conquered the Greeks, when they expanded their territory, they would send an armada of ships with soldiers, administrators, agriculturalists, and they went and conquered a city or a small country and made it part of their empire, say the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire. That entire armada of ships or the army and the, or the company that was sent 
to conquer that land for the kingdom of Rome or the kingdom of Greece, the whole company of people was called the apostle, the all of them. But wow. the leader, the admiral of the navy or the general of the army, the leader was also called the apostle because he was sent to expand the kingdom of Rome. Now, when we understand that and then we reflect on what Jesus did, he came and established his kingdom. He built his church of the people who came into his kingdom. The church won't exist forever. His kingdom will exist forever. He began right. preaching and teaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he expanded the kingdom by uh, designated apost designating apostles. And he said, go on and make disciples of all nations, bringing them into the kingdom. Because So when they, they preach the gospel, when they believe the gospel, receive the spirit, they're born again, they enter into the kingdom. Jesus said, unless you're born again or born from above, born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom, you cannot perceive the kingdom, you cannot enter the kingdom. But when you do receive the Spirit and you're born again, you become part of the kingdom. And it's the apostles who went out. So that's the primary function of apostles. Someone who can simply um, hand out orders to people and is a strong leader, commanding people to do this, that's not necessarily an apostle. That could just be a right. bossy person. An yes. apostle is someone who is preoccupied with the extension and the expansion of the kingdom of God. So that's good. why church planting is a primary function of true apostles. That's why we have a large church planting vision because mm -hmm. our leader is a genuine apostle. Right. So apostles is intuitively build the kingdom. They build the kingdom by um, building the church with structure and strength, and they build yeah. the church by expanding, building more. So you build bigger by building up. You scale by building up, making the church stronger and bigger, and you build out by planting more churches. Wow. And that's the primary role. We know that Jesus was the, is the apostle and prophet or the apostle uh, and high priest of our profession. Jesus himself was an apostle. The mm -hmm. prophet is one who speaks for God. It's interesting now that every believer can hear from God the function of the prophet who heard from God because no one else could hear from God because they didn't have the spirit. Um, and now that everybody has the spirit, can hear from God, the prophet is still needed in the New Testament because mm -hmm. they have... Um, Excuse me for a moment. I'm just going to plug my computer in. The battery's going flat. No um, worries. It's done. So the, the prophet, the word prophet in the Greek is made up of two words, pro and phami, or uh, to speak for or to speak forth, phami being to speak. And so the prophet speaks for God. And so even though we can hear from God, there is a component of what God wants to say to the body, that he speaks through the prophets. And we need to hear that. And even though many can have the gift of prophecy, where we can prophesy to one another, there is a dimension of being able to hear from God that most people don't have. It's a grace that they have. And just as the apostle is preoccupied with 
expanding the kingdom. A prophet is preoccupied with spending time in the counsel of God, in the presence of God, listening. They don't just speak. They listen and they discern and they hear what God wants to say. Yeah. Um, and Jesus himself was a prophet like, like Moses that God raised up. The evangelist, evangelist is preoccupied with reaching lost people with the good news. The word evangelist comes from the word angelos, uh, meaning messenger, evangelist, evangelistes, the good news. The evangelist brings the good news. It used to be used for cattle herders that wandered from place to place, and as they were passing, someone who knew where they were going would give them good news of a birth of a child that we see in the Old Testament or some other good news, and they say, can you pass that on? And when they bring that good news, they were called an evangelist. They were bringers of good news. Awesome. And you know, we understand this one pretty clearly. The evangelist brings the good news of the kingdom of God. Yeah. The shepherd is one who protects, provides. They watch over. The, the New Testament word for shepherd is the, is the same as the New Testament word for pastor. The pastor is used once, but shepherd's used many times. It's the same word and it's the word to describe the function of a shepherd, the shep what a shepherds do. They watch over sheep. Sheep are referred to as God's people. They protect God's people. They feed God's people. So there can be a teaching component there as well. They're concerned with the, the health and safety and well-being of the fold, of the church. They protect them. They watch over them. They encourage them. They support them. When someone's broken, they help bind their wounds. Uh, and make them well. Uh, but shepherds are not, you know, just we sometimes think of shepherds, they're the ones that hands out tissues when someone's crying and they sit down beside them. Every Christian should do that when someone's right. hurting, sit down with them. Shepherds watching over and they're strong leaders. Yeah. They have to fend off wolves, bears, enemy when predators come in. Like David gives us a good example. Um, mm. uh, he, he fights the bear, he fights the lion, and he protects his father's sheep. They're, these are strong people. They're not mamby-pamby, weak, just sit down, just talking about people's problems, making them feel better all the time. Every Christian should do that for one another because we care for one another. Shepherd's a strong leader. These are strong people. And I think mm. a lot of local churches... Uh, are perhaps led by people who are elders rather than strong shepherds who have the capability of watching over a growing and larger flock. And the last one is teacher. Teacher is preoccupied with instructing, uh, lives inside the word of God, instructs others by imparting skills and knowledge to use. So one who helps people understand God's word so they can learn to walk according to it. So I'm a teacher or teaching apostle. Um, I, I, I live in the scriptures. Um, I study to learn so I can live that way. And then when I understand the word, uh, I can explain it to others. Um, I am not preoccupied with dispensing knowledge. Somebody asked me not too long ago, do you love teaching? And I paused for a moment and I thought, well, I, I enjoy teaching. But I love people under, coming to an understanding of the word and applying it to their lives and living it out. That's what I love as a teacher. 
I love the word of God becoming real to people, uh, becoming active in them. And yeah. so, you know, Jesus was the ultimate teacher, so we know that. So we have all fivefold on our team. And can you understand the when, when we only have like a shepherd or uh, even someone with perhaps an elder level shepherding capability, and most churches across the Western world at least are about 70 or 80 people, and that's mm. bearing in mind the, the, the preponderance now of uh, or the plethora of mega churches in the right. last 20 years or so, 30 years, mm -hmm. um, the average church is still 70, maybe 100, but st still small. And most yeah. church plants, two out of three church plants, fail within 18 months. Yeah. So we have particular types of leaders leading, starting churches and failing and leading small groups that don't have the fivefold. Hmm. And they're possibly not one of the fivefold themselves. And so can you imagine how can they then equip the saints to do the work of the ministry? Mm. How can they bring them to maturity? It's, right. it's, it's really um, pushing uphill. It's, we talk about, you know, um, paddling up steam without a paddle, you know, yeah, uh, up sure. without a paddle. It's, it's, it's very hard work. But when you have the fivefold as we do, you get yeah. the perspective of the apostle driving us thinking kingdom, thinking big picture, building structure, strong. Yeah. We have the prophet speaking to us what God is saying to us at any given time. We have the evangelist constantly um, thinking about lost souls because at the end of the day, if we're not thinking about lost souls, we become introverted. You know, yeah. if the church is a spear, the evangelist is the spearhead. We need them constantly talking to us about reaching lost people with the gospel. And that's our primary function as God's representatives on the earth. Then we need the shepherd to watch over us, uh -huh. making sure the community is healthy, protecting us. And we need the teacher to help us understand the word of God. And if we're going to be making disciples, we have to yeah. teach them how to live according to Jesus' command. So we need the teacher to teach us how to study, how to learn the word for ourselves, how to... Uh, um, uh, read and memorize, study, how to live it out ourselves so we can teach others also. So when we have the fivefold, people are getting uh, uh, the ability to grow or the opportunity to grow to maturity at a faster yeah. rate or perhaps the, the normal rate that we should grow to maturity right? rather than at some point way, way down the future. It's interesting, the second half of Ephesians, uh, not Ephesians, Hebrews chapter 5. The writer to them says, by now you should be teachers. Right. Yeah. But because you're dull of hearing, I've got to teach you the first fruits of the, of the principles of Christ again, the first <laughs> principles, the basics. Yeah. There is an expectation within the apostolic community that we, when we're discipling people, Christians, after a certain period of time, maturity looks like you can teach others also. Right. Because he talks about, I've got to give you milk, not meat, because you're not mature. Mature right. people can handle the meat of the word. Right. And so when we talk about the fivefold and maturity and becoming like Christ, what did Christ do? Made disciples. How do you make disciples? Teach them to live in obedience to his commands. The, Hebrew, the writer of the Hebrews said to them, by now you should be teachers. You should be making disciples, but they weren't because they weren't studying the word, they weren't learning the word, they weren't applying the word, and their growth was stunted because they were dull of hearing. 
And so that, that fits very well in what we're trying to say here, that maturity looks like Christ making disciples. Mm-hmm. A mature person makes disciples. And um, uh, I hope that that just fills out the, the role of the fivefold. And so we've got fivefold in our church. We're still learning. We're in our fifth year working together. We're still learning from each other. Um, we're still helping each other. We're understanding how to work together, uh, how the prophet and teacher work together, how the shepherd and teacher work together, how the apostle and pastor work together, and uh, how the different combinations work. We're all we're still learning those things, but we're seeing maturity in pe- people um, uh, developing in a in a very very healthy way as a result. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you, um, Dr. Mike. And, you know, everyone, um, I, th- I hope you really have been blessed as much as I have by Dr. Mike's sharing and the impartation of the revelation. And um, it, it is for the building up of the body of Christ, the church. We are going to have Dr. Mike come back in the not too distant future. And he's going to be answering some hard questions. Um, how do we build a fivefold team if we're not able to, you know, staff them? Um, can you be a pastor of a church if you're not an apostle, you're not apostolic? Um, what do you do if one person is threatened by another's fivefold grace, for example? Um, the framework addressing functional issues in the church, who sets that? What about governance teams? You've already talked about elders uh, and the difference of the fivefold, and we want to address all those things when we have you come back, Dr. Mike. And just thank you so much for taking time and sharing with us. What a very insightful time of sharing. Very, very helpful. And we just uh, pray that uh, we continue to just be able to bring this message out there on the Power of Five podcast, all things fivefold. There is power in the five. We're not called just to you know be receiving um, or, or even dispensing one of the fivefold. The whole body of Christ is built up only when the fivefold is functioning together yeah. in unity. Yeah. And thank you, Dr. Mike, for sharing with us uh, in these sessions. It's been absolutely a joy. It's uh, absolutely my privilege. Thank you.